in three, two. Good Friday afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Countermeasures here on Anchor FM and Spotify. I'm Bruce Nixon. I'm Greg Rath. The dynamic duo in the bunker, the foxhole, trying to bring some common sense back to a world that seems to have gone mad. Seems to. Appears to be. Cats are sleeping with dogs. <laughs> but, but you know what? Nowadays, that might be okay. Love is love, bro. Love is love. You can't really say these things. No, we can't. That's as far as we can go with That's that. That's it. We're <laughs> going to leave it right there. Well, you know, we've been strolling down the lane of ups and downs, the brokenness of America, the, uh, I don't know what you want to say, the, uh, the follies of politics and the things that don't seem to be really going well in America. So tonight... We thought it'd be a great idea to go back to the basics. We have a constitution. We have some things that we can outline and read from the constitution, some pretty important things. And then we, we kind of get a treat. You know, my background in politics, I can fill in some gaps from experiences. But when we get down into the meat of these Bill of Rights, Greg, your 30 years darn near police experience is going to really speak a lot to what it's really like on the street. Yeah, and, you know, there's always those questions, uh, you know, why does a guy have a rap sheet so long and why is he still free? Or, you know, what is the CSI effect? Um, you know, uh, why is why is it hard to get a conviction and stuff like that? Um, and I think uh, when you talk about, like, the Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendments and stuff and, and those sort of things... Um, we have a system of justice or a justice system that many people say is unfair. I totally disagree. We have an extremely, extremely forgiving justice system. And anybody that tells you otherwise <clears throat> is out of their mind. Second, third, fourth chances, uh, probation, super secret probation, intensive probation. Then maybe you finally go to jail. So if you are a criminal um, and shy of committing a homicide or an egregious felonious act such as a sex crime or a, or a crime with a weapon, um, you have a pretty good chance of not going to prison over that. You know, unless, you know, you're talking about dollar amounts and that sort of thing. But everyday crime, burglary, theft, trespassing, stuff that's life, um, quality of life stuff, most people don't go to prison over that kind of stuff, and uh, it takes a lot of lot of convictions to finally throw that proverbial key away. And I think it's important to understand that. Um, One of the historical backgrounds for that, and you can read if you follow along with your Constitution tonight, good people, is the whole idea is coming from a monarchical England that was stressing out since 1215 in Magna Carta, trying to come through with some personal rights under the monarchy and eventually a parliamentary system. What you're left with is just the opposite. These things are codified in the American Constitution to protect about things that they experienced as colonists and as members of the crown or subjects of the crown, right? These things... Uh, like being able to confront your accuser or 
the habeas corpus, right? You have the right to actually show up and be a body in front of a magistrate, right? Right. Where in England, you could be made to go away. Well, you know what? We were just talking that before we went on the air. There are places in the world that you can be testified against by written statement, by um, hearsay, um, and not test that evidence. That's where that Sixth Amendment, uh, I believe, is is pretty uh, pretty important, um, where you have that right to confront your witnesses. On the other hand, I've sat through many a trial, and where you have the proverbial golden platter with a perfect case, slam dunk, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no such thing as a slam dunk case, even if you have um, a confession, because what happens is. Defense lawyers are paid to get you off. Find the chink in the armor, whatever. So I don't think the Founding Fathers' belief is to shed a shadow of a doubt, to create a shadow of a doubt. If there is a, um, a reasonable doubt based on the factual evidence at hand without being bastardized by grandiose speeches and that sort of thing and destroying somebody's credibility based on because you don't have anything else that's wrong um and we can maybe we'll go into it a little bit later on my on my take on the justice system and how the jury system works um if you if you've ever sat through a trial trials are won and lost in my opinion by opening and closing statements which is odd because under the law, it's not evidentiary. It's not evidentiary. Right? It, so. It's supposed to basically be a roadmap or a poster or kind of an explanation of where the case is going to go. But it sets the stage. It sets the stage. Right. And but they can pretty much say anything they want. I mean, within reason. But I've sat and listened to, you know, I've I've had, um, I've had. I had one case where a guy, you know, had a wreck, hurt some kids, and he was drunk. And based on, because the scene was so big and because we were so shorthanded, I had to do all the things at one time. I had to make sure the kids were right. I had to uh, take care of baseline and the and the traffic and during rush hour. Yeah. And so I couldn't sit and babysit the suspect or the driver of the car that created the wreck. So... In the trial, this guy gets up on stage. Uh, the attorney. For the, well, actually, actually, the the suspect, the defendant, gets up on stage. I call it that's a Freudian slip because that's really what it turned, right, right. Has turned in. <clears throat> and, has his ex- the- and his excuse be- for being drunk was, you know, I was so nervous. I was so nervous, jury, that that while the officer had his back turned and couldn't see me, I went over to my truck and got under the under the seat and grabbed a bottle of tequila and I drank the whole thing because I was nervous. Now, fortunately, the jury thought it was bullshit and it was. But I tell you what, that defendant who was an idiot and who did not have, in, have two, two uh, brain cells to rub together could not have come up with that on their own. Right. So <laughs> the lawyer did it. Yeah. Now, he could never admit that because he'd be disbarred or he'd be, in, you know, I don't know whether he could be prosecuted. But that's the problem that you see. And what happens is 
they attack the credibility of the witness. If the case is solid, the only thing they can do is make fun of you, make fun of me, or try to create something out of nothing. Shed the shadow of a doubt. That's not what it's supposed to be. And that's what's been so bastardized about this system, is it's, it's a game. And, you know, it, it, it's a travesty. Right. So if folks are paying attention, what, what we're drilling down on is, in this nuance is, you're supposed to be, at least in a capital case, I'm not sure about every case, but beyond a reasonable doubt is supposed to mean the prosecution has the burden to prove to the jury, whether that be the judge, three people, 12 people, beyond a reasonable doubt. Every case, right. whether whether it's a class three misdemeanor littering all the way up to first degree murder, it is beyond same a reasonable burden, doubt. Same burden, but I mean, yes. I'm just saying that you don't seem to have the same weight because, you know, they're right, not going right. to spend this much time. Right. Right. If the defense is going to come right. up in the burglar and say, right. well, you know, my friend found the door unlocked. And, you know, there, I, what I'm saying is it's a little squishier. Same burden. Okay, I'll, I'll grant you that. Right. But it doesn't seem to be as uh, prescient. Right. All right. So I just finished three nights in a row of watching the Bundy tapes, the actual trial tapes. Of great, great show. Right. And. When you get, you just made me remind me of this farcical nature of what's allowed to happen on the defense side. Oh, that was an absolute abomination watching him parade right. around in there and just be able to say whatever he wants, act as his own attorney. Well, denial, they just, denial, denial, well, denial. I'm saying a, a guy that plays his own lawyer is a fool, and right. and he he destroyed himself because if you watched it, he was a complete buffoon. But he pulled the same nonsense as uh, what we're talking about. This guy that uh, the said drank. that he drank. When your back was turned, you he's saying that the cops knocked his teeth and broke his teeth while he was in custody and the bite marks wouldn't have matched. If you could right. just come up with the photos from two weeks ago, right. I'd be exonerated. Sure. It's really fantastic it's to smoke, watch. It's a lot of smoke screens and that sort of thing. Um, and it's, you know, it, it, it's very frustrating as a police officer to put a lot of work into a case and be honest about it. I don't have a horse in the race my, I'm going to get paid whether we get a conviction or we don't get a conviction. Now, am but I you saying, want to do com- good police? Work. Well, and, and my point is, is you know, when when I become on trial or when the witness becomes on trial, this has nothing to do with me. Uh, I cannot fix in five minutes what you screwed up in ten years, and whether or not I make an arrest or I don't make an arrest or we make the case or don't make an arrest, it really doesn't affect me personally. It doesn't affect me paycheck wise. It doesn't affect me reputation-wise. It doesn't really affect me at all. I don't have a horse in the game to win, lose, or draw. It doesn't matter. But I will tell you, the talking heads, people out there that are you know, anti-police or that sort of thing, will come up with lots and lots of reasons why you know, we're out to get anybody. And Yeah, you just, guys have gone from uh, protect and serve to hunt and kill. Well, you know what I've, uh, you know what I've heard that, and uh, and and I've he- I heard it, I hear it a lot more, and that can that is so far from the truth. Um, the the vast majority of the people that I supervise are extremely dedicated. We talked about this in one of the first shows. Police work is very very simple. I don't like bullies. There are people that take advantage of other people's. Um, take advantage of other people. When you don't follow the rules, and whether you hurt somebody, steal something, break something, whatever, you're a, a, you're unlawfully or unjustly, however you want to however you want to put it, ruling over them with your rule breaking, and that's bully bully mentality. Bully mentality. And circling the wagon back to the Constitution, you've infringed their rights. 
Right. Basically, yeah. a crime is an infringement of someone. Absolutely. Your, your right to swing the bat or swing your fist stops at my face. Right. And as soon as it does hit my face, that's when the law is broken. And I just want to mention really quickly, you're tuned to Countermeasures. Tonight's sponsors are OLT Fabrication, located at 2301 West Broadway. If you have a steel job, big or small, for erection or fabrication, call 602-276-4841. Thanks to our friends at OLT Fabrication. Uh, I wanted to also mention that one of the funny things is you get this idea, right, that I wanted to go back to your police academy days Mm -hmm. or your field training days 30 years ago. Yep. Were you guys talking about the Constitution in those days? In the academy, for instance, like these amendments apply to this and you really have to focus on unreasonable search and seizure or was that, you know, fourth fourth amendment, you know, basically search and seizure, laws of arrest, it all kind of revolves around that fourth amendment and uh, a lot of procedural training. That's what well, I'm getting at. I was told by Dale Anderson one time he was a, he's a famous, you know, very famous within the law enforcement community, a very famous uh, lawyer, prosecutor, defense lawyer, uh, worked in Chicago, worked for, you know, several different presidents. And I've taken this guy's class four or five times every time I transferred or went to a different detail. This guy was brilliant. Um, and he told me. Uh, years ago, when I was when I first when I first uh, took his class, that there are enough decisions and cases re- uh, regarding uh, the Fourth Amendment to fill up a gigantic house. There are so many, and it's it's interesting. And you know, if you are a, in law enforcement or, or in, in you know prosec- you know your, your prosecutor defense, it's it's fascinating stuff because that's what la- has laid the groundwork for what we do and how the decisions were made. Um, and it's, it's vast. And, you know, I, one of the hardest things to do and one of the hardest things for people to understand is trying to apply the Fourth Amendment quickly. Um, and I hate to say split second because it's usually not split second, but applying it quickly within certain time constraints and understanding all the nuances, the important nuances in these different amendments, rules of laws of arrest, search and seizure, and that sort of thing. And so it's very difficult. And that's, that's sometimes where we end up making mistakes. But Some, I mean, particularly for you, you were trained, though, on how to do that. and you've Very much it, so. Right? But I will tell you, I will tell you, in my humble opinion, that, yeah, the Academy sets a, is a foundation. Does it set a good foundation? I think so. But I don't, you haven't practiced it. Not to mention you take a 22-year-old kid that doesn't have any life experience. What's his point of reference? So it's very difficult. It's kind of a double-edged sword. We want this young off, young cop that's idealistic and is motivated, educated, um, um, and super clean when it comes to breaking the law or tickets and, you know, personal behavior. All of the above, yeah. Okay, so... You take that guy, this perfect person, and these are these are these people are hired by you, the public, that created all the rules through our, our peace officers training board and Title Thirteen and all the stuff that goes together to hire this cop. How much experience is that guy gonna have? Not a whole lot. 
And then we take him, and because he's the young whippersnapper, guess where he goes? He goes to third, third shift. shift. Midnight you know. to six or whatever. So he's got to make those decisions a lot. So Now, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. You're on a good vein here, but I want to pull some more information out of you. But sure. Does that impact uh, close casual rates for young police? Sure, absolutely. Because what you may think is a, a an open and shut case may not be. Well, uh, and it could be anything. You may not have gone door to door and knocked enough doors. You may have not checked for for video. You may have not. Uh, uh, maybe you forgot to Mirandize somebody, or maybe you didn't interview. Maybe you you saw it on the video. You got three or four witnesses, and you said, "Ah, eh, I'm not going to interview the suspect." Well, you got to interview the suspect. You you got to know. Maybe he's got an alibi. You have just and 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 this is a hard thing for cops to understand and 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 the public to understand too. You have as a police officer just as much responsibility to protect the rights of the accused as the rights of the victim. And that's hard because when you walk into a into a house and some lady was tuned up and beat to hell, and she's pointing at the husband. You know, it's hard to think about that because, first of all, this 22-year-old probably never seen that. Second of all, your emotion gets caught up into that. And that's one of the things, that's why we hire the way we do. That's why we have the standards we hire is so you don't, so we hire people that don't let that emotion overtake their judgment. Really big psychological testing. Huge. In-person psychological interviews. Polygraph, psychological. To weed out that that little edge. But, you know, it's impossible to get it all out. But along this same thought process, I mean, when you're talking about seizures or uh, searches, rather, of vehicles, particularly during a traffic stop or whatever, it's got to be... I mean, I guess it's good in another way that these kids, the young people, whether it be boys or girls, working on the third shift, getting a lot of experience right away. It's critical. Right. I will tell you, when it comes to police reform, police reform happens all the time, whether it be cameras, whether it be, you know, decisions made by the Supreme Court, um, new policies, new uh, practices, um, best practices. You know, we've the taser, the pepper spray. You know, we, we went away from the carotid control technique, the, the, the choke technique. because The side-handled baton. The side-handled baton. Yeah. And you know what? And, and, and again, I may it, it doesn't matter whether I agree or disagree. Right. But what, I think what you're bringing up here is exactly the accused is entitled to safety while in custody. Safety and protection of his rights. Right. I mean, Absolutely. and that's... And so I, I could see from the old days, my grandfather was a cop in San Francisco. He carried a blackjack. And if somebody got out of line, he'd whack him across the head you with a blackjack. The, 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 and, you betcha. And that's because we still have in our veins, I think as a, as a manned up culture, this Wild West mentality that, you know, the West was one with frontier justice. And it had its place. Right, right. Well, right? and I tell you what, but that's what made us a state and that's what made us successful as a country is laws and rules based on God. Got to throw that in there. Yeah, be careful, but, though. Yeah, be careful. But that's where they came from. And I agree with them. And Right. Every town I, had a marshal and a judge. And, and I, I tell you, you know, um, and, uh, you know, touching on best practices, the, the camera. The camera is a huge thing right now, right? The body-worn camera. Very big. I tell you what, I wouldn't do the job without it. I can tell you way more, multiple times more situations where officers are vindicated or exonerated 
because of the camera. I would not do this job without it. Absolutely not. I can see a time now that you're going down technology's lane mm-hmm. here that the downside to the body camera technology for the last 10 years from my vantage point is it's myopic. By definition, it's myopic view. It's worn typically on a shoulder or mid-vest. Right. It sees only one view. Yes. Okay? And, and, and that can be... That can be detrimental sometimes because hindsight's always twenty twenty. Well, my thought process here is, bear with me, and we'll get back into some more details, sure. but technology being what it is, it would seem to me that a cruiser drone would be much use, more useful, right? Yeah. You stop, the drone is deployed, it takes a 360 to view everything. Well, but then you're, then you're talking, and I totally agree. There's a lot of stuff that we would love to do, but there's also time constraints, there's a certain amount of calls, certain amount of minutes in the day, and I'm with you. But you know, and, and again, you're weighing that. You're weighing that. Maybe you got a button on your shoulder. You pop the button, the drone deploys. Because here's my problem, mm-hmm. and I, my friendship with you is, and your proximity to me has allowed me to. You have to, as the lieutenant in the precinct, you have to review body cam tapes all the time. Yep. And yep. but it doesn't tell the whole story of the scene. No, no. And, you know, we've changed the rules. It used to be we'd turn it on, and we, they, the, the officers had a little bit more discretion, quite a bit more discretion. Now the rule is as soon as a call comes, boom, we, the camera goes on. It links up with the call, so it's, you know, so when it downloads, everything's there. It's synchronized. It's synchronized. It's a lot of technology. Already. A lot of technology. And, again, I wouldn't do the job without it. Now, one of the things that you got to be careful is, you know, there's the human aspect. You know, and and talking with maybe your partner and stuff like that, you know, they're still humans. So and I think that's happened in recent months. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? And I think the department does a pretty good job of trying to try to separate. Is this locker room talk versus, you know, is this guy a racist, uh, I, you know, and, or whatever or whatever. Yeah. And so but that's growing pains. So, you know, it's like. When you, when you make a policy change for a police department, it's like turning a battleship around. It takes a long time. First, you've got you, you know, you to get them trained. You've got to get the technology perfect. Um, and it could be anything. It could be body-worn cameras. It could be a new computer system. It could be uh, a new poli- – one of the big ones is uh, the hair uh, marijuana. Oh, marijuana is a right. big deal. Um, and so – and what I will say is I'm a firm believer that I serve at the pleasure of you, the general public. Right. Your money pays my salary. And if you choose to, whether it's, you know, the extreme of defund or, you know, reduce salaries or whatever, you can do that. Um, but there are going to be certain consequences that come along with that that you got to live with as well. Um, right now, with we're having a hard time hiring officers, um, you know. And, and it's not some, just Phoenix. Not, oh, it's, it's nationwide. Right. Um, and you know what? You know, maybe we're defunding ourselves by that. Um, one of the things when it comes to police reform that I that I would be a proponent of is because police work is evolving more uh, like a, a social work type of deal. There's a lot more social work. You know, you're dealing with, you know, a lot of domestic violence. You're dealing with a lot of single parents. Uh, substance abuse, substance abuse and stuff like that. So somehow we've got to rectify the situation, you know, um, and go from, you know, the, that warrior mentality, which I understand where that comes from to that guardian, um, 
mentality and and it's semantics but it sounds better and i understand that um we don't want to be a military occupying force but there has to be a an enforcement part of that when the social uh portion or the uh sociology portion does not work yeah there you has clearly to be a see win. things break down right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i think if you go to the extreme I remember not that many years ago driving down to the main uh, MCSO place where the tent city used to be and right. seeing an 18 wheeler with a, a mobile artillery uh, artillery piece on it. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, I know it's a show piece. It's I a show piece and, it, and it's, I'm a tough guy and I like some of Sheriff Joe, but that, that was grandiose nonsense in my opinion. I mean, it didn't help his public opinion. No, God, no. But yeah. on the other hand, you know, the discipline within the ranks and things like that for well, and, and uh, prisoners. Let me, let me, let me yeah. capitalize on that. You know, and, I, and I've heard the argument of militarizing police departments and armor plating <laughs> and stuff. But I will tell you, one of the things, <clears throat> and a lot of people don't understand this, let's say I have a, a dangerous subject that I'm serving a search warrant on. Historically, our SWAT teams would make a dynamic entry and go in. Um, now, with some of this armor that we can do, we don't have to push the issue. We surround that place. We get close to the armor. We are able to talk on megaphones and protect the officers. Yeah, it looks militaristic. I get it. Mm-hmm. But really, you know, it, it, it saves lives. It saves that... that well, the, the citizens surrounding the officers' lives, in many cases, without that dynamic entry, people who are committing crimes don't die. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's the hard part. That's a hard part because nobody wants to go out and execute somebody or kill somebody or anything like that. That's nobody, I can't imagine that would be no, an easy no, thing to no, live with for anybody. No, no not at all. And um, it's and, but it's hard because trying to explain to somebody that doesn't understand police work or is a normal human being that goes about their day to day work. All of a sudden they catch something on the news media that is skewed to make, make us look bad or make, you know, or doesn't look good period. Maybe it was done on purpose or not. They, that's that snapshot that they take my encouragement. And I used to do this when I worked at the Academy we had, and I think we still do this. I haven't been down there in a while, but we used to have citizen police academies, journalist police academies, um, you know, we would bring members of the public that have, that are stakeholders and come and do very basic everyday scenarios. And you would be surprised how, uh, and, and again, they're, they don't have the training, obviously they don't have the training, but they're going through the same scenarios that we put our officers through. And very frequently we saw them use force that was excessive and their eyes got real big when all of a sudden somebody that comes out with a knife that was just, standing in a park or whatever. And my encouragement to people out there that, uh, that are questioning whether or not we need to defund the police or we need to, you know, change police policies and stuff like that. Be educated. Don't just listen to the news media. Don't just listen to a blog because that's going to be somebody's personal opinion. And I get it. You're allowed to have your personal opinion. That's that's that first amendment that we got sitting in front of me. Right. (laughs) But I will tell you, come right along with me. We're, once this COVID stuff gets out, come right along with me. Come right with an officer. If you are a member and, uh, of the public that has a genuine concern about changing police policy, 
I encourage you to ride, and I, I will let you ride with any one of my officers and go out and understand the decisions that they had to, that they have to make. Go understand. Go go look at some kid that lost their mom or dad. Go deal with the homeless population and see the despair. Go immerse yourself in that stuff. This is what my people do every single day. And we do millions of calls a year and we don't hurt that many people. Yeah, we don't like to, but we really don't. And nobody's out there jonesing for a fight or anything like that. And so I encourage the public to come out. Come talk to me. Come to my office and come talk to me. I'll put you in touch with anybody you want to talk to. Um, I think, no, I was going to say that's an amazing invitation. You heard it here on Countermeasures. Do we have any other sponsors of this program? Lifeboat Coffee. Delicious and tasty. Delicious and tasty. My home away from home. You drink it every day? Every day, three cups a day. It's good for you. Just on Mondays. Just on Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. No, but I mean, you don't drink it on Mondays. No. Anyways, uh, lightboatcoffee.com or 7th Street in Dunlap, northwest corner. Come see, uh, come see John. Come see me. I'm in there. I'll, come to, I'll talk to you. And uh, if you want to talk about police work, you want to talk, uh, if, you don't, if you've got a question on why we do what we do, I'll try to explain it. And if I don't have the answer, I sure as heck know just about everybody on the department, and I, and I, will, I can get those answers for it's you. It's kind of funny you say that because over the last year and a half or two years, whatever it's been, I've seen you actually pick up the phone and call the city attorney yep. and other people get answers to sure. questions. So don't, I don't want anybody listening to the program to go, oh, he's just blowing smoke up your booty. He's not. Uh, you know what, John? I, you don't have to. I love but, being a police officer. I really, really enjoy it. I think I wanted to do it since I was a kid. I don't like bullies. I wasn't bullied. I, 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 you know, I wasn't one of those guys that was a bully and I, oh, I'm going to go uh, abuse people's rights. But I tell you what, ever since I, you know, when I went to college, I really knew that that was my calling. And if you have that calling, if you have a, a, a sense of service, I encourage you to come apply. We need police officers. We need quality people that make good decisions. We need people that can communicate, that can write, you know, just as much as I need them to be able to defend themselves or defend the people on the street. This is a great opportunity right now if you had a desire to do that. Um, try not to dwell on what you see in the news and stuff like that because there's lots of agendas out there. Some are good, some are bad, some I agree with, some I don't. And it really doesn't matter. I'm not here to badmouth anybody. I'm here to tell you that this is an incredible career. I've been doing it. I'll be, I, I've got about three more years to go. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to be really disappointed in going, but uh, uh, it's a younger man's game sometimes or woman. But uh, there's a lot of great people out there, and uh, they do great work. And we'll send the bill to Phoenix PD for that recruitment speech. No, no, I'm teasing you. Right. No, but let's, let's dial down it as a real nitty-gritty here. Sure. This is really – I want to take policies from the district attorney of Manhattan and the county and the city attorney of San Francisco and plug them into Phoenix. Okay. Just for a moment. All right. All right. Now, uh, our friend Trina Keenan will no longer prosecute – uh, prosecute prostitution. Where would that be? The city is prostitution a felony or a misdemeanor? Well, it can go back. It can go back and forth. But the actual act of prostitution is a misdemeanor. Okay, so the city attorney won't prosecute prostitution. Obviously, maybe pimping and bigger things are felonies. I don't know. I don't know the penal code. But and now, any burglary, or robbery. What's the difference between the two of those things? Burglary is me breaking into something, whether it's a property. Real property, 
um, your house, your car. When it's vacant. No, not when it's vacant. You could be a burglary when you're... Robbery is using force against someone to get their property. Armed robbery would be a robbery using some sort of deadly weapon, whether it be a knife, gun, or bat. All right, so we no longer prosecute burglars that steal... Less than $980. Is this San Francisco we're talking about? Yeah. Well, the DA of Manhattan no longer prosecutes prostitution. Okay. And the city attorney of San Francisco no longer prosecutes any burglary of $980 or less. So in the last eight months, that policy has been in place. There might be 10,000 videos of these open-air burglaries taking place on YouTube. I'm saying let's plug those two policies that were made way above your pay grade and now you're talking enforcement. Right. Does that blow up the morale of the guy saying, well, I can't help a business owner. I can't stop. I, you know you what? Know? I would imagine. I would imagine that does. I mean, we've talked about there's, there. There are times where politics or um, or or laws change. I just I'll give you I'll give you one. We'll talk about the marijuana. I disagree. I think marijuana should be illegal. I think there is a greater argument a much better argument to make alcohol illegal because mm, the majority of the domestic violence stuff that i go on is alcohol related uh there's a way better argument to make that now i'm not in you know that's just my own personal belief we did that for six years in america already once right didn't work out that well it didn't work out that well now it was great for the candidate i will tell (laughs) you i had i had a great colorful discussion with a uh an attorney we we talked about politics and leanings and stuff like that. And one of the thing, one you know, one of the good points that he made. And again, I don't, I don't believe in, in, um, in legalizing drugs at all because I think I've seen personally uh, within my family, friends, of that what drugs do, and uh, and I can talk about some of the economic uh, ramifications. You know, yeah, you want to smoke dope? Fine, smoke dope. But as long as my tax dollars don't go to bail you out when you can't control yourself anymore and you can't hold a job, that's the problem I have with it. Um, so I think if you, well, there are a series of cascading failures that go sure, behind but, it, right? But that's, like it goes back to the sense that swing your bat all day long, it becomes against the law when it affects me, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing, in my opinion, would go with drugs or. But it's alcohol. not their fault, Greg. Well, take another case in point. We have methadone clinics in Phoenix. Right. 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 And I tell you what, that is a that is a touchy subject. You know, um, years ago and and, and when I first came on, when you said drug addict, that was uh, that uh, correlated or was synonymous with criminal. Um, Now it's an addiction. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know whether addiction is a disease or is it a choice um, I will tell you that the way it was explained to me by a very, very close friend of mine who has since probably passed because he got back on the drugs, the way he talked about it is you start using drugs when you're having a good time. Then, you know, and it, who knows how that long that goes. And all of a sudden, one day you have a real bad day, whether you're sad, whether you're mad, whether you're whatever. And you remember how good that drug made you feel when you're happy. So now you take that drug when you're mad. And then you take that drug when you're sad. And then all of a sudden, over a who knows what period of time, you don't deal with those emotions. And then couple that with you being 
you know, 10, 12, 15 years old, where you're emotionally growing, your brain's growing and stuff like that. And now you are hiding all those emotions or, or, or putting those emotions away or um, covering them up. How do you deal with life? Even when you get off the drugs, and I tell you, Kurt, that good friend of mine, described it to a T and the PTSD and all the stuff that he had and all the problems he had holding a job, had problems with his anger and all kinds of stuff because he never had to learn how to deal with his emotions. He masked them with the drugs. And, you know, I helped him. He came live with me. Um, you know, we were great friends for years. Um, I found out later on because of all the DUIs and, and, and stuff, he actually assumed the uh, the identity of a dead friend just so he could get a driver's license out here. He assumed the identity. <laughs> I had no idea. Wow. But I tell you what, that's the extreme that that drug issue had. Now, he, will t- he told me that it was not a disease. I think there are people that are more susceptible. I got another friend that every year his buddy visits him, brings a garbage bag full of marijuana, some great chronic or some good hydro, and they smoke marijuana for seven days, eight days straight, and he'll never touch it for the next year. He doesn't have that addictive personality. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But I tell you what, there's a lot of issues out there. If you look at the homeless, a lot of the homeless people are, are, are addicted to drugs. and It's a transient drug population is what it is. Well, there is. But there's also, you know, it's not just transients. It's people that may be able to function. I've seen plenty of guys over at the methadone clinic pull up in Mercedes and are able to hold down jobs because of, you know, functional, yeah, because right. they're functional. I don't know what the answer well, is. Well, I only brought that up because it was an example of the, the way that we can watch and observe big government leeching its way into every aspect of life, right? Well, and there's it's your tax dollars. Right. And we're so, getting at these guys that wander our little area called the Sunny Christian, Slope. The Christian guy in me wants to help everybody. But oughtn't it be the church or the nonprofit? Well, we support then, those? Then, then you get into the argument, well, now you're trying to make make it about God. I'm and, saying keep the government out of it. That's well, my argument. I, well, I can tell you that, you know, in my humble opinion, I don't think the government is efficient enough and connected enough to be able to do that. Um, I think, uh, you know, they paint to the lowest common denominator. denominator they, pr- they paint with a broad brush. And faith groups stakeholders, community leaders that are in the weeds, in the trenches, if you will, those are the people that are making it. And you know what? I believe that the church should be involved in that. My church is heavily involved in that. They reach out to all kinds of people and help. Um, But again, I think it should be more privately worked on because there are a lot of people that care. There are a lot of rich people that care. There are a lot of people like me that are not rich that care and give money to those types of things. Right. And I think that, I think that's a a much more efficient way to do it. Right. I think I was trying to speak to that point where the Mm -hmm. bureaucracy will just feed off of itself. You can't really do a good job and it's not really their place to care for our brothers and well, sisters. That's the biggest, right? that's the biggest argument out there. Do you want a nanny state? Is it a womb to tomb? No, we I mean, have it already. Oh yeah. I mean, you got all day kindergarten, you got all day preschool indoctrination with all kinds of stuff in the $3,100 a month disability. Well, and then you got all the free education. Fact still remains is you can educate everybody. 
um, and give all kinds of free education, somebody still has to turn a wrench. So somebody still needs to learn how to do that. Somebody needs to all kinds of jobs need to be done and formal education may not be needed for that. Maybe the little thing we do in our first uh, public foray is advocate for vocational schools to be built again. Well, you know, I, I remember talking to a guy that is from Germany. One of the things, one of the things that they do in Germany, and I, I can't give you percentages, but I thought it was a very interesting thing uh, is that there's a, there's a huge push for vocational. And I think one of the things that we did, I remember when I grew up, go to college, you're going to be something. Go to college, you're going to be something. Go to college. There are ways to be successful and rich and um, you know productive without going to college. I think, in my humble opinion, and I've been to college and I saw – some of that indoctrination, it was, again, granted it was 25 years ago and it's not near as prevalent now. I can talk to my kids and they'll give me play-by-play. There are indoctrinations with regards on way left, way liberal, whether it be climate change, whether it be you know social change, whether it be income equity, on and on and on All that is preached. That. That's why they want free college. That's why they want free college because, again, if I can get you on the public dole, you're going to vote for me every single time. That's- yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's why we need vocational schools here. Let's advocate for that here in Arizona. Well, and again, it shouldn't be a four-letter word to be a mechanic. It shouldn't be a four-letter word to drive a garbage truck. These are all honorable jobs. These are all jobs that are extremely necessary. They're not just jobs. They're careers. They can be. I know Absolutely. a guy that worked sheet metal for Chaz Roberts Air Conditioning yep. for 43 years. Sure. Has a very comfortable future in life. Sure. I know uh, HVAC techs that are running around the valley right now in the heat of Making the summer. Making a fortune. hundred grand a year. Abs- oh, more than that. Well, I, I mean, a, just, just on an average, on you're an making a hundred grand a year. Absolutely. And you can go to a 16-month class and learn how to do that. Now, companies is- are so desperate. I listen to the radio. I listen to uh, KSLX 100.7. Right. Anyway, they advertise that they'll train you for free. Because they can't get people to truck hire drivers. under the company. I see it all the time, truck drivers. Hell, police officers. Police officer really, and that's one of the interesting things. Is it a vocation or is it a profession? Is it a vocation or is it a profession? Well, I will, I'm here to tell you that if you've got a uniform with a name tag on it, that's a vocation. But because of the nature of the work, the education and the ongoing education that we provide our police officers and you know, the day-to-day training, the briefing trainings, the uh, There's a million extra things available, too. You can have a lot of professional growth in the police department. Oh, absolutely. You could do a different job on the Phoenix Police Department every year for 20 years and not do the same thing. Um, There's a lot of of things. Whether you want to be a detective, you want to be a SWAT guy, you want to stay in patrol, you want to be a sergeant, you want to promote, there's a ton of stuff out there. And it really is kind of cool. You know, it's kind of like the military. Absolutely. The old Christian brothers in San Francisco in high school would say, you know, you go to this uh, working man's school, there's three vocations that are primary here. You're either going to be a cop, a fireman, or a priest. <laughs> right? I mean, all really, if you think about it, the cop, the fireman, and the priest all have this sense of service, right? Sure. And ought to, right? Right. Even though we understand second responders don't do anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get my ass kicked. No, by no, some... but, but th- I have a friend. You He's have got, one? I, I have one friend beyond you, another friend. So I have two. I, th- I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, anyway, the interesting thing is he'll have his 30th year finished in October for 
San Francisco Fire Department. Right, we right. grew up together, did every job together as sure. kids, signed up for the fire department together, took the test together, passed the test, put on the list together. They weren't hiring right away, so I joined the Coast Guard, and he got hired. And now he's going to retire from San Francisco Fire. And in the 30 years, he fought five fires. Well, and I tell and you I what. I know that things changed, but fire departments were born in big cities because well, they, changed. they burned. They changed. Right? And you know what? That, that's just like the police department. That's a great example of how things change. The fire department is predominantly worried about medical stuff. Now, I will tell you where the fire department really, really shines is anything, anything when it comes to hazardous material, chemicals, chemicals burning, stuff like that. They have extremely specialized equipment that can help determine what that is. And they're really, really good at that. They're very efficient at that. And um, But you're right. You're right. Um, well, I only meant it as a funny anecdote because things shifted so much. I mean, I can't say by observation that in 30 years police work, certainly it's changed. Big time. But not to the radical nature. I, I mean, don't know. I, I don't know. I'm only making the argument that, you know, fire engines very rarely squirt their hoses, right? Right. Where... Police cruisers are constantly in motion. Sure, You're still sure, arresting people. Sure, sure. No, I dig it. I get it. And um, and I'm not ragging on fire. No, guys. no, no, no. I tell you what. I tell you that could. You want to talk about a thankless job? I don't know how many times somebody's got a bump on the nose or whatever. And you know, from a liability standpoint, I got to call fire. You want to see fire? You know, I'm not a medical trained expert or anything like that. Those guys, so I got them out. But you have to administer Narcon. Narcan, yes. Whatever. Can-con. Well, and I tell you what, um, I've watched it bring back people to life. I know, but you see what I'm saying, how mm-hmm. blurry the lines get? And but I, I tell you what, it. that's that's another one of those changes. You know, 25 years ago, if you told me that I was going to be administering Narcan, I would have told you you're out of your mind. If you told me 20 years ago that I would be dealing with as many mentally challenged people that we are now— I would have told you you were out of your mind. That's because of the internet. Well, there's, there's, I'm sure there's lots of reasons, but things change. Um, we are not nearly as proactive anymore because proactive work can be dangerous. And, you know, we break people when we do very proactive police work. We're a, quite a bit more reactionary right now. And so things do change. And I'm not going to say they're bad or good. I can tell you that proactive police work is far more effective at reducing crime because I know where the criminals are and I can target them. Um, we are one of the things that we are really, really good at and, uh, are, are, and get better all the time is um, data mining, finding the criminals. It, unbelievable how, and this is where this new generation shines. These people, these young, peop, young men and women that are coming out of college or even out of high school are so savvy with the computer that something that I look at like is Greek, they're, they're bouncing that, you know, it's the same, same with my kids and your kids. So one of the things that we have done and we, we have done, I think we've done a really good job is being far more precise, uh, targeted, uh, targeting the criminal, not throwing out that big net. It used to be you go occupy a neighborhood in, in a sense. You go out there and you flood it with cops and it works for a while, but if you don't take the root to the crime, take the root of the crime and remove that root, because you know if you've got a, a guy that's dealing drugs, there's going to be a bunch of ancillary other crimes. You're going to have burglars and prostitutes and transient. You're going to have a bunch of stuff that's going to come. All of a sudden, you pull that root and you target 
and you figure out what is the what is that what's the stronghold and you go and remove that 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 one entity um all the rest of it goes away and so that's smart um so you know i think we've we've, no, progressed, we've progressed a lot i have uh one more question before we go mm-hmm. you're tuned to countermeasures we're on spotify anchor fm it's all good Hope you're enjoying the programs. This is really interesting stuff because you're not going to get this kind of experience out of just anyone. And so I, I wasn't able to finish that second part. I'm going to put you on kind of a, a short leash because we only have about seven minutes. Sure. But all right. So the city attorney of Phoenix decides no more arrests for burglaries, $980 above. You come to my coffee shop every day, but let's take the delicatessen next door. Right. What happens to business owners? What what rights do they have? You know what? I, I don't know. And I mean but this I, in a real – that's a serious question because let's say I own my coffee shop in the city of San Francisco and right. I have $1,000 worth of coffee on the wall and somebody comes in and takes it. And we don't – And, we don't, now, and you're we, not coming. Well, again, we may take the report – and we may inform you that you know they may not prosecute because of that. And 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 Phoenix has not done that. This no, is I'm just it's a sure. thought game. I don't know. I that's a great question. I don't know. I'm going to be the one that tells you. I'm the one that's going to get the earful. But that's what I'm paid to do. Right. But I'm saying here's my thought process. I'm mm-hmm. going to beat the crap out of the guy or do something worse. Well, that's and then the I'm cons- going to go to jail. Well, that's the concern. I mean, you know, I mean, you talk about defunding the police. What is the alternative? You know, uh, you know, if if let's say, you know, you, let's say you do cut twenty five percent. Let's say we're just going to have to k- bring the V word up. Vigilanteism is going to have to. Nah, you know what? Uh, I'm uh, saying if you guys defund and we don't have cops, but I will tell you, there's also one of the th- one of the other things that I've seen in, and this is where we got. It, 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 this is where we're rolling back to that foundation of the family and the fractured family. Many times I get calls where I kind of shake my head. I'm like, why don't you just go knock on the door and tell them to turn the music down? Why are the cops coming? Now, I understand you may be afraid. This guy may be a problem. But there are a lot of things that we do handle that years ago we would not handle. And People I, would just man up, so to speak. Well, and I, and I don't even necessarily want to say that. I'm just saying things change. And, um, you know... I don't have a problem. And see, remember I talked about knowing your neighbors and how important it was to yeah. know your neighbors, know what they drive, get their phone numbers, know their names. Guess what? Now when you know your neighbors, they're like an extended family. So if there's an issue, instead of going out and confronting somebody that you have no idea, now you know this guy. You've built up a relationship. It's no different than dealing with your children or, or, or dealing with your coworkers. If you've got an issue with a coworker, you know, you don't run to your boss. You go try to deal with the coworker, right? And then, you know, if you work it out, 90 times out of 100, you're going to work it out. And then you don't have to go to the boss. Um, it's the same way with crime and, so, and, and neighbor disputes and that sort of thing. Now, I'm not advocating going put yourself in danger, but I will tell you that if you know your neighbors, if they consider your family, and that doesn't mean you have to break bread with them, but if you wave at your neighbors driving by yeah. and they know you and they like you and, they, and, you know, and you talk to them on the – guess what? Now they have a vested interest in their neighborhood because they have somebody that they like or that they respect or you know, they're not going to want to you know, pee in their own backyard, if you will. And if you do go knock on the door – 
you've already built a rapport with these people. So we're, I, I like I, what I, you're saying, but somebody just stole a thousand dollars worth of my beans, and something's going to happen. Well, I mean, if this comes to Phoenix, sure, sure. And could you even? I'm just. This is a serious question. Mm-hmm. In a million years, could you think of that actually being a policy in a major city in America? Well. Over the years, I will tell you, I didn't think it would happen, but it doesn't surprise me in a sense that things do change and some things are become more important, some things become less important. And that's the ebb and flow of society. And me as a, as a, a tool or an instrument of the public hired by you, I serve at your discretion. You really don't have a choice. You have to enforce the policy. Right. I get it. Right, right, right. But some, I, who's going to advocate for the merchants? Well, that's where you, as the merchant, better be involved with your city council. You, as the merchant, um, or you, as the general public, need to be involved with your local politics. If you're not, they're going to walk right all over you. They're going to pass it. They're going to pass a referendum that twelve people vote on, right? <laughs> right, and yeah, that, we have to talk about what happened in the last city council meeting a few months, no, weeks ago. Because that was a very narrow vote for the funding issues at large. But for right. today, we got to wrap up. We're at uh, 55 minutes. Excellent. Which is well, very nice and tidy. Fabulous. I want to encourage everybody, send us a note through the system. I think there's even a little click for a, an audio message you can leave yep. at Anchor yep. FM. If you have any uh, questions or concerns, or you just want more information about uh, life in general, and you like what we're talking about, Stop by Lifeboat Coffee Monday through Saturday, 6 to 2, and especially Tuesday through Friday when the good lieutenant is typically there when he's not out having to chase the bad guys. I don't chase bad guys. I mean, you have. I, well, yeah, I, you literally I, did I, today. I, I did, yes. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Thank, God, so, he, thank God he was old, had one leg and no arms, and I got him. <laughs> did he have a parrot on your shoulder? Is that a parrot on your shoulder? You're happy to see me. (laughs) All right, Bruce Nixon and Greg Rath saying good night. God bless. Thanks for tuning in and uh, go say hi to your neighbors. We could change the world. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Bye bye.